Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, as Benjamin Franklin so aptly put it, the only two certainties in life are death and Genie Bus trying to duck the repeater tax. Oh, and Rob Palenka signing another 6-4 guard, too. So I guess three certainties in life. But what's also certain is this Lakers front office sucks ass. <laughs> Uh, I, so I, by the way you said that was very amusing to me uh, I am your host Jonathan Hernandez and I'm joined by my co-host Tommy Alexander Tommy how do you like the Lakers new slogan tax over feelings uh, I'm not a fan of it Jonathan <laughs> great to hear um, because that's unfortunately the MO that we're operating under anyways Folks, this show is going to be a raw vent session. So before we hit the ground lamenting, as usual, if you could please throw us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app, that would be amazing. Please also take five seconds of your time to search us up on Spotify and click the five-star button on the top of our page. Each new five-star Spotify rating you shoot us is a million dollars of luxury tax removed from Genie Bus's overall bill. So it's almost like a GoFundMe. If we can help Genie Bus, uh, if we can help Genie Bus out enough in that way, maybe she'll build us a more competent roster. So each new five star equals a million dollars. Okay, Tommy. So let's vent. Um, do you have anything to say about what's going on with this front office in light of one, the continued losing? The Lakers are now two and nine, and them recently sort of sending Darvin Ham out there to be their messenger whipping boy. And before you go, I'll just start off with like a little bit per, a little bit of a personal preamble because it's getting harder and harder to give a damn about this team and not because of the individual players, but just because of the organization and management that runs them. And from a personal level, we all have things going on in our personal lives that take higher priority. And now that we're out of the pandemic, like if there was ever a time to focus on your mental health or the more important things that are going on in your life with your family, I feel like this is the season to do so. Uh, Tommy, you have a baby on the way. You're going to become a father soon. Alan just got a new job, full-time job. 
my girlfriend and I unfortunately had to put down our Shih Tzu, who was 19 years old last month, you know, so... I'm sorry, man. Yeah, thank you. But there are clearly much more important things in life than the Lakers and basketball. But when when things are going, when things are crazy in our lives, we typically look to sports and the Lakers as a fun distraction, you know, from our crazy, hectic lives. But I feel like in the last few years, and especially this year, knowing what we know from what happened the previous season... The Lakers, to me, seem to have only added more baggage and frustration to my life, unnecessarily too. And when we as fans are expending our money, our time, and our energy into an organization that's giving us no payoff and seems to be going the exact opposite direction, actually, it's just super disheartening. And you know, even doing this podcast, sometimes I'm like, why Why am I doing this? Why am I scheduling things, planning things out, recording, editing, and then pushing it out for, it feels like we're parrots on here just saying the same things over and over again in a loop. And we're saying the most obvious, lowest common denominator things too. And for the front office to continue to be so tone deaf and continue to just do the not only the wrong things, but it seems like just totally turn the fan base out it's for me it goes back to why should we care about this team when the front office clearly doesn't care and they continue to mince their words and give us empty promises and then try and cover up those promises with rebranded bullshit you know so I guess with that said Tommy where do you personally stand on this organization and franchise and can you I guess you can wrap your answer around the insane sort of presser that ham had a couple games ago where he all of a sudden started talking about our tax situation so take it anywhere you want to take it yeah i guess like i feel probably the same way that most fans feel deep down which is disappointment it's crazy the like sort of mental gymnastics this front office is sort of forcing fans to do you know and it's create I, I don't want to get into like the too much into the whole like it's created like rifts, you know, a rift between fans because there's like blow it up people and there's like let's, you know, sell the farm to try to win with LeBron people. And there's just like it, we shouldn't be having these types of conversations. The fact of the matter is LeBron James has been in the league for 20 years and we are the only team who is now in like really consecutive seasons put him in this situation where – he doesn't even have a chance. I'm not saying that like, you know, LeBron has the same sort of Kobe Bryant, like history with this organization and deserves that same type of respect or, you know, whatever. I, I'm just saying that like, you don't get chances to win a championship or compete for a championship or have the types of top 10 players on your team that can take you to a championship very often it might be a decade or more before we get this chance again and we're actually like causing this like kind of crazy misdirection with these draft picks as though like draft picks seven years from now should like make a difference on like you know make a difference when it comes to like wasting some of the last few years of productivity for LeBron James and maybe even Anthony Davis. And draft picks in this particular organization's hands, no less. It's like, yeah, what are, are going like, to happen to On the draft right? pick point, right? And, and I'm, maybe I'll ramble a little bit here on right. a few different topics. But like on the draft pick point, right? It's like, what what are you expecting to get, 
It's like, I feel like people are viewing these first round draft picks in 2027 and 2029 as like, oh, those are going to be number one picks overall. You know what I mean? Or like definitely top three picks. LeBron James may leave this team in the summer of 2024. How bad are people expecting that we're going to be five years after that? Even in the like Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Wallet, even that was like four years of lottery and then we got LeBron. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you just can't like, do fans really expect that the Los Angeles Lakers are going to intentionally go through a six year plus period of intentionally losing games and the picks that they, by the way, the picks that they're accumulating throughout that time. Cause most of our picks we still have, as we know, which has been another misdirection from this front office. Um, most of those picks are like going to be accumulating and like might actually be decent players. So then we therefore can't be possibly the worst team in the NBA that many years in a row. So, I mean, there's just so many things that are are coming up with these picks, right? It's like when you look at the output that some of these guys have put up this season, some of the guys, meaning like the guys that we were targeting with potentially with these picks, your Jordan Clarkson's, your uh, Bojan Bogdanovich, your Buddy Heald, your Miles Turner, those are the types of players that you are hoping you can get with a lottery pick in the NBA. Like, mm-hmm. put aside the top three, most lottery picks are not giving you what you're getting from Buddy Heald this season, what you're getting from Bojan this season, to keep it with younger players, what you're getting from Miles Turner this season. You know, so like, I, I just like, it's it's just creative. And then it's like, you know, of course, I don't even want to get into this whole thing of like, we're putting together this roster and then we're going to turn around and say, well, this shit roster we put together isn't good. It's shit. So we are therefore not going to spend to make it better. And it's like, but it's circular. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like you didn't spend to make it better in the first place. That's why it's bad. I it just like the whole thing is absurd. And it's not like there's some grand master plan. That's another thing with the pick people, right? The pick people are like, oh, they they just don't want to bend to bend over for LeBron and AD, and they want to preserve and build the right way in the future and keep their picks. That's not what they want to do, <laughs> okay? What they want to do, and Rob has said it a thousand times, and I don't know how many times it needs to be said. What they what they are actually doing is trying to do the same thing they just yes. did for Russ, but then hopefully get someone who's like a better fit. And who are they looking for? Like their better fit, okay? Maybe a a. a an astute fan who's like looking around the league for somebody who might fit into that 30 ish million cap space who is murmurs are, you know, might be emerging on the market and, you know, come this off season, the Lakers will have essentially three draft picks to trade because they could trade their own 2023 draft pick, right? Who fits that kind of mold? Shea Gilgis Alexander. Maybe that's somebody you can hype yourself up as like, okay, maybe they're waiting for somebody like that to make a move. But is that the case? No, of course, in traditional Laker fashion, they're going to go after a guy who they've been targeting for, I don't know, the last seven years, maybe on and off, Mm -hmm. who just signed an absurd contract. The may arguably will be at some point in this, in the tenure of this contract, the worst contract in the NBA is 29 years old. will be 30 next summer. You know what I mean? And this is the guy that, Of course, I'm talking about Bradley Beal, you know, so like a guy who is a don't get me wrong, is a great player, but is maybe past his prime. And the fact that he's a slightly better fit with LeBron and AD, like that's worth selling the farm for Like it just doesn't make any sense. And it just shows 
a lack of understanding of what got us into this mess. No, absolutely. And the more and more we remove ourselves from the 2019-20 championship bubble season, the more you go back to they really did not know how to make a championship team. They kind of fell into it because LeBron James and Anthony Davis were super amped their first years as Lakers or LeBron's second year. And it's clear they don't know how to build a contender because each year they're trying to shuffle the deck again. And to your Bradley Beal point, and I think this is sort of a microcosm of everything wrong with the Lakers, the Lakers and I know that I'm using hindsight here, and at the time, I, I was totally okay with the deal, but th- I'm just using this an, as an example of different ways we could go about trying to build a contender. We're talking about trying to trade for Bradley Beal, who, as you mentioned, is 29 years old and in two years is going to be making like $53 million on his contract, when we could have just drafted the next Bradley Beal in Desmond Bain a couple of years ago, you know, when we had that pick, and... We worked him out and we really liked him, but the Lakers are so blinded by superstars, etc., getting the big name that they don't focus on fit, roster construction, stemming the tide between your stars now and the future, and this is how you get yourself into this mess. And I don't know, it's where where do I go from here? I guess let's talk about the draft picks and them being used as sort of this red herring and going back to Darvin Ham's talk in his presser about the tax situation of this team, which I thought was ludicrous for a coach to have to speak on. Um, I mean, I guess it's good that they have that much transparent communication, which they should have, but for Ham to be bringing it up to justify why the Lakers are in the bind they're in as if the Lakers can't do anything about it, to me, was ridiculous. And it felt like, I don't know, the front office shouldn't be hiding from the fans in this respect and letting Ham be their representative and taking the bullets for them. Because essentially what Ham said was, this is our tax situation and this is why we have a sucky roster so the the sucky players on this team need to suck less, you know? And it's like, what do you expect minimum players to do, man? And even guys who you didn't sign on the minimum, like Lonnie Walker, they're just trying to find their way in the league. They're almost out of it, you know? Um, So your thoughts on just them doing this sort of, one, using the picks as though it's almost like continuing to dangle that carrot just enough so that fans can be like, okay, we just need to be a little bit more patient. When at the end of the day, we know they don't want to even trade for a Bradley Beal-type player simply because he's making $18 million next year, and that could push them into the repeater tax if they end up keeping more of their guys internally or trying to sign a max player. It's not, Tommy, it's not even about getting a max player. It's about making sure they're under the luxury tax threshold by 2023. That's why they do not want any long-term salary deals, even if it just goes for one more year than this one. And that is so, and yet they will hide and cover all of that by saying, no, we're willing to trade those first, but just for the right deal when it comes, you know? And I feel like, yeah, the picks are being used as a red herring to hide the fact that it's financially based because they don't want to spend that much luxury tax for this crappy ass team that they constructed and that now they are pinning on. I don't even know how this sort of argument started, but... I always thought it was ludicrous in the first place, but the fact that they continue to, and you mentioned it, 
Put this on LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They aren't playing well enough right now. Putting on putting it on these minimum players to prove it that they're a team worth investing picks into, even when it was Rob Palinka who constructed this roster of eight guards, and reports have already been put out there that he had intended to trade Russell Westbrook when he signed Dennis Schroeder, but that didn't end up being the case. So he signed Dennis Schroeder anyways, in spite of the clear yeah. lack of size and shooting that this roster has. And you go back to like all of his interviews at Summer League and the offseason where he's like, fans deserve a better team this year, you know, and we're not done yet. We're going to address the shooting and all this stuff. And just to see the empty, empty promises and they're worse than empty promises because he continues to double down on them with added bullshit that everybody can sort of see through. And the fact that Jeannie and Rob haven't even come out to the public to explain themselves, to explain why there is no shooting on this roster, why a deal hasn't been made. To me, it's just like if, if you were ever wondering why the Lakers are in this sort of muddled, rudderless, visionless mess that they're in. It starts from leadership up top yeah, and how they didn't sort any of this out at the beginning. So, I mean, I don't know where you want to go with it. Do you want to talk about the dangling of the picks and putting the onus on this roster? Because, look, LeBron James hasn't looked the same. Anthony Davis hasn't looked the same. But for the first five games, Tommy, they were trying their damn artist, you know? So if you're questioning why they're run down in these last five games and look like they're washed up, it's because of the damn roster, you know? It's like, yes, you put some of the onus on LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but the fact that you are not doing these guys' legacies right, to me is, like, you don't you don't think the rest of the league sees this? You don't think the rest of the stars in this league see this? The way that you're handling LeBron James' legacy? And this is sort of a tangent, but I just recently watched the Redeem Team documentary on Netflix. Have you seen it yet? Um, I watched like the first half of it and then I, I, I turned it off. Okay. You should watch the second half because Kobe Bryant comes in like this act three anti-hero and sort of saves the day. And it's, it's really awesome, but it really kind of just shows you like, it makes it tangible. Kobe Bryant and LeBron James imprint and legacy on basketball and this league for years to come. And I was just, it, it one, it helped me. It helped distract me from the total tire fire that is the Lakers organization. But then it immediately brought me back to an incensed place where I was like, how could we possibly do this to LeBron James? Regardless of whether or not you're thinking about the future and young players and getting lotto picks and whatnot, like, how can we not even try? You know, even if you don't think Miles Turner or Buddy Heald or whatever, move the needle, at least it shows LeBron and AD that you're trying even if it doesn't amount even even if all it amounts to Tommy is a play in tournament and we had to give up those picks it doesn't matter at this point it's about just showing LeBron James in his last one or two years and showing Anthony Davis that you care about these dudes legacy and you care about their health so is there anything else you want to add yeah I I mean the thing about like this is across sports, by the way. It's like sometimes people, it's almost like people like view teams that have had historically, you know, really bad long stretches of being awful as like a bad luck sort of situation. It really does start at the top down. It's like that in every organization and every sport. Why are the Knicks in the biggest market in the entire country? 
and they've been bad since we were like kids, right? So it the only thing it feels like that can save this team at this point is the is Genie Bus selling the team or selling the, you know, bus percent ownership at least. So because these guys are like so diluted at this point. Everything is like this weird like def- like no one stands up and takes accountability and takes ownership for how bad everything has gotten. I mean to your point like you're constantly on Twitter these days I've seen like calling out like Rob and being like where are you? You said hold you accountable if things didn't yep. go well and where are you? You know, he's nowhere to be found. The Lakers are have started 2 and 9. They feel like they should even be worse somehow than two and nine. I mean, like, you know, uh, Matt Ryan, three away from one and 10, Matt Ryan, miracle three away from one and 10. And you would think in any other situation, somebody from the front office and of LeBron James and Anthony Davis team would step up and give an interview would make some kind of statement. This is like if, you know, Kyrie said all this, you know, nonsense, right? And and there's been all this drama around the Nets. Imagine if, like, you never heard from Joe Sy or Sean Marks about any of that, right? They were just, like, hiding in the back, you know, pretending like it didn't happen. And if anything, when you did hear, like, a leak come from them, it was, like, blaming the media for, like, being, you know, extra mean to them. <laughs> I feel like that's, like, essentially what the Lakers' front office strategy is. So... You know, we have a guy in Rob Palenka who put together a championship team. I'm not going to say it was lucky, right? But that was a roster that had no continuity that he built from the ground up using some guys who he had actually retained in KCP and Kuzma and Caruso from prior years. And then added LeBron and AD to it. Did he get kind of lucky in that it seemed like he kind of struck gold with Dwight Howard's last productive year and Rajon Rondo's last productive year? Like, yeah. So he went from that to basically, I mean, it's been a series of misses. Like, you could find all of it on on Twitter, and it's been, like, discussed ad nauseum, right? But to go from that and to give that guy, you know, in his last year of his contract a three-year extension and just be like, Let's put him on the same timeline as the coach who's, like, newly trying to prove himself. But it's like Rob is not newly trying to prove himself. You, you have all this data on him. Like, what what is happening? Like, I, I just feel like Jeannie is so focused on why does everyone care about who's in my, you know, decision circle? Everyone cares because the people in that decision circle are making horrific decisions, mm-hmm. you know. And those people in any other organization would be fired. Yes. So... Like, what is your goal? If your goal is to sort of own the team as a source of income for a few more years, I mean, that doesn't really make sense because, like, they're all getting older, right? All the bus kids. So, like, they could sell the team and take the cash now. If your goal is just to, like, have the status of being an owner, you're doing a disservice to, like, the fans. Like you said earlier, right? It's like we sort of use this as, like, an escape and – even during the years when, you know, we weren't great, um, you know, in those Kobe uh, Kobe Poshak years where, you know, we weren't great, but we were contending for low playoff seeds. We were competitive in a lot of games, especially home games. It's just that, you know, we were developing younger players at that time. But there was a plan, and it seemed like there was a thrust. It, the organization was moving in one direction, Unsurprisingly, that was when Jerry Buss was still involved, right? But, you know, now it just feels like aimless floating and everybody's sort of like 
pointing the finger and Jeannie Buss just, I don't know, every time she makes a statement, I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but <laughs> it seems like she digs herself deeper and deeper in these holes where it's like, now is the actually, okay, is it actually the official company line that I'm spending all this money, we have a top five payroll in the NBA, we are a top five tax paying team that should be enough to win. You know what I mean? Like it just like a complete lack. Like, so when people call out the spending, then she doubles down and she's like, well, actually we do spend, so we should win. And it's like, no, but you're spending like an idiot. You know (laughs) what I mean? You didn't want to spend to keep Caruso, but for some reason you want to spend to keep Pat Beverly. Like it's just like, who is making these decisions? Yeah. I mean, and has any, has any organization done less with the resources that LA has as a city and the legacy that the Lakers have built by Jeannie Buss's own father. Like has any organization done less with all of that? You know what I mean? Like we got LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the door, but I'm so scared and worried about our future moving forward. Like they are the reasons why we aren't, I mean, we're the laughing stock again, but they're the reasons why for one or two years we weren't the laughing stock because LeBron James and Anthony Davis came. And for us to turn their turn our backs on them now, and look, they could make a trade in the next week or so, but just the lead up to this, the, the process or lack thereof to this point where we're still having to discuss the same things we discussed two or three months ago, again, it just shows a lack of preparation, a lack of planning, and a lack of vision Because, Tommy, even in the best-case scenario, we're essentially just enacting the same plan we've been enacting for the last two or three years that dismantled a championship team, i.e. flipping a team over again, you know, and trying to find the next best thing or whatever. For Rob Palenka, someone who's as smart as Rob Palenka, who actually played college sports, was part of those Fab Five teams, for him to not understand the very basic concept of team chemistry and cohesion boggles my mind all this time they've been banking on anthony davis and lebron james being enough and we can just mess around with the edges no matter however way we like and then when it comes time that anthony davis and lebron james actually need them they're sitting on their hands because they're like just wait lebron we're gonna get you bradley beal like of course lebron james is gonna say yes to bradley beal but it's like you have to be smarter you're the you're in charge of this organization again you've mentioned it multiple times we don't even have a general manager you know and i'm not saying lebron james and anthony davis aren't culpable people always throw this back at my face like hey lebron james wanted russell westbrook lebron james wanted this guy they're getting you know they're the ones ownership is going to them for approvals and all this stuff and i'm like yeah but that's no different than any other superstar in any organization, you know? Yes, LeBron James has clutch, et cetera, et cetera, but it's up to the people managing that organization, that franchise, to have the balls and the smarts to say, no, we need to go this direction instead because I am in charge of team building, you know? And it doesn't seem like we have that at all. Um, let's take it to break real fast, and when we come back, let's see where we go from here. Maybe we'll talk about some Lakers basketball. Who knows? <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said... 
done. All right, so we are back. Uh, Tommy, the Lakers are 2-9, and nine, and since they were, I don't know, second in defensive efficiency like a week ago, they have since become the 15th. They've, they've, they've dropped to 15th in defensive efficiency while still being the worst offensive efficiency that rated like team in the league. completely insane, yeah. Yeah, it's really bad, and I think, you know, pretty much everything that I was saying about how these nice runs the team is going on with these small ball lineups and stuff where they're whizzing up and down, it's not sustainable. And lo and behold, we end up giving almost like 60, 70 points to the Utah Jazz twice, and it's becoming like a routine yeah. thing, you know? Well, yeah, they're not stopping anyone. Yeah, and it, and not only are they not stopping anyone, it just looks like they don't even have a plan out there. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's the one bit of basketball I wanted to talk about because I wanted to go back to, what did I want to ask you? I guess in the entirety of this season thus far, and maybe this is an easy question to answer, but given the context and everything we've gone through, is this season worse than last season? Yeah. Statistically, we are tied for the worst start through 11 games in franchise history. Okay. Yeah. And we also have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Granted, they haven't looked 100%, but I swear to you, if you go back in those first five games, they were at least operating at 80% capacity, you know? But something happens at a certain point, Tommy, when you go 0 and 5 and you see there's no help coming your way anytime soon, where mentally yeah. and physically, you just break down, you know? Yeah. So, but. Jeannie Buss and Rob Palinka don't have the excuse of, well, LeBron and AD were out the entire time. They've only missed one game apiece, okay? And we're still two and nine. So expand upon why this is the worst, this is even worse than last season, which to me boggles my mind because how can you possibly be worse than last year? I feel like Rob Palinka just saw last year's team was like, okay, the problem here is everybody's old. Let me just flip the roster get to get young people and that'll fix everything, right? Last season, through 29 games, we were 16 and 13. <laughs> okay, we didn't really... Like, were we going to be amazing last year? No. Were we going to win a championship last year, even if everyone stayed healthy? No. Were we going to make the playoffs? Yes. We were 16 and 13, and we were on an upward trend. If any, if people recall, we were on a three-game win streak when AD got hurt. Capped off by that, like, you know, people probably remember the Austin three, Austin Reeves buzzer mm -hmm. game-winning three against the Mavericks in overtime. That game put us at 16 and 13 on an upward swing. AD got hurt. We lost five straight, and that started the downward spiral. So, I mean, and look, I'll even go a little further. After 40 games, okay, <laughs> we were nearly halfway through the season. We were 21 and 19. Those guys, LeBron got, you know, started getting banged up. 80 never really came back around. The Westbrook stuff started getting out of control. The trade deadline was a mess. We really, really just started plumbing, plummeting down the standings and racking up long stretches of losses once everyone was getting more hurt. This year, we've actually had decent health. I know AD grabs his back every other play. I know LeBron has been dealing with his foot and now the left adductor strain. But for the first 10 games or so, we have been relatively healthy. Certainly about as good as you can bet on with a team that has a 38-year-old superstar and a guy like AD. Mm -hmm. And we are still 2-9. and nine. <laughs> You know what I mean? So it's just like... 
And with Russell Westbrook buying in and playing really and well. And with Russell Westbrook <laughs> buying in and actually playing pretty well as a sixth man. So, like, that that's what I'm getting at. You know, with, with the, like, what are what is our plan on both ends? Why is it the case that with that wonky roster where we had, like, Carmelo Anthony randomly lead us in scoring, like, <laughs> you know, in multiple of our wins. Yeah. THT had some random games early in the season. I don't know if you remember where yep. he had like 30 point games. So it's like, why was that team able to stay competitive so much longer than this team? Right. It's like, I'm looking back at the, at the, at the season. I mean, some of these losses were like, you know, even at, even despite the th- 16 and 13 start, like, the 13 losses included two losses to OKC mm-hmm. where in both games we had like a 30-point lead and just let it go. Yep. Okay, so it included games where we, I mean multiple games, where we were competitive with like Milwaukee on the road. We were competitive with, uh, you know, the Knicks on the road. Like we lost a triple overtime game to like the Kings. Like we were playing competitive games. It just feels like right now what has carried over from last year is that like second half of like last third of the season type of Lakers mentality. Yeah. Which is like, basically you go into every game, assuming you're probably going to lose, (laughs) you know, it's going to take some like historic run on like a three point shooting night for you to have a chance or like the other team just gets freakishly cold. It just, it doesn't feel like on a night to night basis Anyone has any idea of what we're doing. We talked during the preseason on the defensive side of like, oh, it's kind of cool to see this like drop coverage they're doing and like everybody's buying in and we're forcing teams to take contested shots at the rim or like, you know, contested jumpers because the guy's supposed to like fight over the screen and contest the long two. We get those kinds of stretches at best 10, 12 minutes every night. Sometimes it's between quarters. Usually it's the second quarter because we're playing by down so much after the first quarter. You know, so like, where is that effort over 48 minutes? You know, where was all that talk about like, you know, last year our team was so one dimensional and like this year we're going to run sets and guys are going to shoot better and all this stuff. And like last year, it feels like we were scoring more easily than we are this year. You know, it's, it's just like what... It's it just like there's so many levels of nonsense, and it's just weird, and I'm having a hard time figuring out why So we have you know this, these issues, but go ahead. I mean, I think at this point, it's a mental trickle-down effect. You know, you just mentioned it seems like we just carried over the second half of last year into this year. Podcast-wise, I feel the same way because I'm like, how in 11 games do I feel this degaff and deflated about stuff already, you know? I felt like we were in this state for the whole last four months of last season. And you can honestly just tie it back to not doing your job as a front office in the offseason, right? You don't think that has a mental effect on the players? I feel like it does. Like LeBron James and Anthony Davis, even Russell Westbrook, as well as he's playing, doesn't it seem like he's just a renegade out there? He's happy that he's getting his stats, Tommy. Like when he came into the presser, last the last game he was singing that beyonce you won't break my soul he was like humming it right to me that just shows like he doesn't take any accountability for anything that's happening on this team right now because can you blame him like it doesn't matter what he does good or bad like it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter in the grand scheme of things anyways because he may be on his way out or even if he plays well 
they're not getting wins. If he plays bad, they're going to blame everything on him. You know, like, again, who thought it was a great idea to to pull Russell Westbrook back into this season and retain him? Like, I think a lot of that stuff, it's like a trickle-down splinter effect from that one thing alone of not doing your job in the offseason, of taking care of your one biggest problem that, honestly, we talk about the Utah Jazz We don't even have to use Utah Jazz, which I feel like is more of an outlier example of a team that just threw together a bunch of players, but they didn't have really any continuity, although they did have some with Conley and Jordan Clarkson. But for the most part, those are all new guys, right? But they have a more sensical roster built on spacing, size, and just like more of a modern day NBA sort of offense, you know? And for the Lakers, it's just like they tried to do the Utah Jazz thing, but with like no shooters, no size. It's like, no, and it's like, yeah. And how much bashing do they need? You know what I mean? Like they've assembled the worst roster in the NBA, which is a, which is an accomplishment because they were filling all these spots. They were handpicking these people. It's not like they came into this. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, we can't, we don't even have to look at the Utah Jazz. We can look at the Indiana Pacers who supposedly were supposed to be tanking, or you want to go even crazier? Like, let's look at the Charlotte Hornets who aren't that much better than the Lakers, but they still have a better record and are competing on a nightly basis just because they have shooting and they have some versatility and size. You know, it's just like the front office didn't do its job. Yeah, go ahead. The only team that's losing worse than us right now is the the Pistons and they still have... Well, the Rockets have less a lower winning percentage, but in terms of differential, the Pistons are the the Rockets are actually losing games by less than us. Okay. <laughs> the only team losing games worse than us in the entire NBA is the Pistons and they still have 3 wins. So they're still beating us in wins. So like yeah. you know, and they're going to be competitive any given night. I mean, we're 0 and 5 on the road. I we're one of like two or three teams that doesn't have any road wins. We're you know, 2 and 4 at home. People want to, you know, uh, blame the strength of schedule for these issues we have. I mean, Oklahoma City doesn't have Chet Holmgren, who was like a huge part of what they were going to try to do this year. And they are four and seven. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The Kings have been robbed. I don't know if people have been following the Kings in some late game situations. The Kings have just been getting like completely robbed and they're four and six. We have the same number of wins as the Houston Rockets, who are like a. Have, I mean, their roster is like laughably tanking, right? Yeah. So, but they still have better pieces than us. We could use some of those guys on yeah, that team. Actually, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> and, and that's what, like somebody commented on this. I think it was maybe I didn't watch the ESPN telecast of the Clipper game, but or broadcast. But somebody somebody said like posted a thing with like Mark Jackson quotes from the game, which I normally don't take too seriously. But this time he he made some points, which were like. Any, if you look at the Clippers roster, any player on that roster, one through 12, would, would most likely play 30 minutes per game for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's crazy. And that's the Clippers. So that's one example. And the Clippers have a famously deep roster. I would actually stretch that argument so much further and say there are like so most of the teams in the NBA have guys one through 10, or at least one through eight on their roster, who would be playing 30-plus minutes per game for us. That is how thin our roster is. And these guys just turned around and were like, yeah, you know, we don't... There's no trade that is going to make us competitive. The top two teams in the West right now are Utah and Portland, okay? If you don't think you can be competitive with Utah and Portland, 
Yeah. I don't know what, what what you're doing. You know what I mean? It's just like completely nonsense. Like all the teams that everybody like everybody expected Golden State was going to run away with it, but you know it get, it gets back to like the the hiding the ball and and yes. doing this nonsense. Like they they can use this as like a misdirection, right? This whole thing, this whole notion of like we're not going to trade it unless it makes us a quote unquote true contender. The only trades in the NBA right now that make you a quote unquote true contender, if that's what you know, you how if you want to define it in the most extreme sense, are like Luca, Katie, and Giannis, and you're not yeah, getting those guys yeah. with with Russ in your pick. So it's just it's misdirection. I mean, all the teams that we just mentioned are being competitive, and some of them are contenders not because of a third superstar or even two superstars. It's because of just more sensical, intuitive roster building with modern-day NBA players who have size and can shoot. And I do not want to hear anymore the argument, well, who else was out there? Utah Watanabe was out there, bro. I know that's just a fringe margin signing, but that just at least shows me you're thinking in the right direction. And now you're telling me the Lakers are going to be working out Joe Weiskamp and Tony Snell? Like, what the hell are we doing? You know what I mean? So to close this episode, you, I want to touch on one thing that you just said about hiding the ball in these picks and everything. And I want to give you the floor. And sorry to kind of spring this on you, but you once told me of this Indian matchmaker analogy that you had, and I want to see yeah. if you can articulate it for the audience and how pretty much what Rob Palenka is doing with the expectation angle of dangling these picks and trying to sort of pull the sheet over maybe the more unassuming general Lakers fan who doesn't listen to like podcasts like this. And the way he sets up expectations in a very sort of disingenuous way to the point where you just end up right back where you started doing nothing and how that ties back to the popular, I'm not sure if it's popular, but the popular Netflix show, reality show, Indian Matchmaker, where they pretty much have a bunch of Indian American or sometimes just straight Indian young adults trying to find love and they go to a matchmaker to do so. So take it away. If you watch Indian matchmaking, you know that Seema Auntie always says, you're never going to find 100%. Yeah. 70% at most. You know what I mean? 60 to 70% at most, and you have to be happy with that. Okay? 70% like of your expectations, right? Or- of your expectations. What Rob is doing is creating, like, Rob is, like, trying to be, like, one of the people who's on the show, right? Like, he's trying to be, like, one of these people who's like, oh, Rob, what kind of player do you want? Oh, I want someone who's young, who's 6'11", who can dribble, who can shoot threes, who can play defense, who can carry my team to a championship. He's losing in the, in the you know, this whole thing of chasing stars. You lose the little things that kind of bring you the success that you're actually looking for and are going to bring you the more long-term success that you actually want in happiness, right? So what Rob is doing is by, by chasing these stars is ignoring all of these like little details. Okay. So Miles Turner is not the best player in the NBA. Buddy Heald is not the best player in the NBA. Both of those guys fill significant holes on your roster. You're not going to get a, a seven footer who is a lead on the perimeter who, I mean, like you're not going to get Joel Embiid for Russell Westbrook in two picks. So when you have a chance to get someone, you have to look at what do they bring that's positive that can, you know, they're not going to bring you everything, but they'll bring 70% of what you need. And that adds, that fills a hole. Buddy Heal, does he, is he an elite defender? No, you're not getting like prime Ray Allen on both ends of the court in Buddy Heald. 
But you're getting somebody who gets you 70% of what you need. He plays defense as a chaser. He's maybe not the best on-ball defender. As a chaser, he's not so bad. And he's elite shooting and scoring at all levels. Fills significant gaps on this roster. You know, so I, I just feel like what they're doing with this whole, you know, continuing to star chase thing is is just ignoring what they currently have and what they could build using what they currently have. And then, sorry, they also place very lofty, unrealistic standards to, okay, maybe I'll settle for that guy, but guess what? He has to be expiring and I'm not going to give up any picks for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, how, you can't well, do and they that. Do, and, they, and they do it in all levels. They do it with their own free agents. We signed this guy for the minimum. He's got to step up. This, this like... <laughs> I this like notion of he's got to man up, he's got to step up. This like Mark Jackson school of thinking of like how to you know how guys are supposed to play basketball is like extremely extremely disturbing, and it's just again it's it's a lack of accountability. Yeah, so I guess in summary, watch Indian Matchmaker to understand our analogy because I don't think we did a good job of explaining it. But when it to tie it even back to dating. At a certain point, you just have to be intentional about this stuff, right? You can't just sit on your high horse and your throne and be like, no, they have to check mark all these boxes for me and then not even put in the effort and work to see if whether or not you may consider it settling, but have you actually tried, you know? And at the end of the day, again, we're talking about LeBron James and Anthony Davis here and their legacies. You are the steward of those remaining years of theirs. And to be treating them in this way when they are the only reasons why we haven't been tanking for the last... 12 years is insane to me. So with that said, that'll do it for our episode. The one good thing I can say about the Lakers is they are entering into an easier stretch. They can probably win against the Sacramento Kings. They could, they should win against the Detroit Pistons. I, I don't it's know about that. I don't know. I mean, it's 50 Kings 50. have been better. I mean, that's true. And LeBron James is dealing with this, you know, abductor strain in his hamstring. Anything can happen, but I'm just saying in comparison to the first 11 games, they have a 40-60 shot now at winning any given game. And the one positive I'll say is go Troy Brown. Use Troy Brown as your example of the types of players that you should be signing and trying to get. You know what I mean? Like, less about this superstar mentality. We need five more Troy Browns and Lonnie Walkers, you know? And you can get that via trade. Don't use ex this excuse that you're holding out for a superstar when... You see the immense impact. I mean, immense is uh, overstating it because we're going nowhere and we're still 2-9. and nine. But you see the flashes that guys like Troy Brown and Lonnie Walker can do for this team. We need about six more of those dudes. Get them via trade and slot those guys down correctly to the ninth and 10th spots that they probably should be in. Um, but yeah, that's a positive. Troy Brown's playing well. Um, with that said, we will catch you guys next time and hopefully the Lakers will maybe be... They have a long gap, actually. So next week should be interesting. Keep a lookout for what they do from Monday to Friday because they have a four-day window where I don't expect them to do anything. But if there ever was a time for them to come to their senses and say, okay, we need to actually try for LeBron James and Anthony Davis and try and salvage this season, it might happen during that time span. Tommy, are you? do you have any read on that at all or no? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, so we will catch you guys next time. Tommy, see you later. Peace. Laters.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.